All right, I guess we could do another show. Oh man, let's do a show. Let's do it. Very excited about that. Got that hot coffee going. I did. I I got a heater. They call them heaters, right? Yeah, man. Fill it up. Uh huh. I still want one of those coffee mugs, though. The have. Death Wish? Yeah. Death Wish I know coffee, you intentionally guys. give me the one that I have for those who cannot see. It says number one number dad. Number one dad from one of our favorite bars. Does it still exist? Did you used wings? to go there, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't go there anymore, but um, that's only because I don't really drink. The last time money. I went there was for your uh, bachelor party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of our that previous podcast guests are all there. Yeah, there's like yeah, there a lot of people. That was the day Joe Burke thought it'd be funny to hide my hat. Yeah. Oh, they wouldn't my let, God. They wouldn't let me wear We've a hat talked in. about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. So I was so like, mad. I remember looking at that guy go, I'm going to put my hat here. And I swear to fucking God, if I come back and it's gone, I'm going to fight you. And he goes, all right, dude, whatever. Put my hat down, came back. Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I am Brian Irwin. And I'm John. And look, I'm not, and by the I never laughed because you thought I was cutting off. No, no. I get it. I. I you're a serious hat guy. Don't. There are certain things. Don't fuck with a guy's hat. That is a thing. I have. I've had. I don't like people fucking with any of my clothes. But, Anything I'm wearing. Don't fuck. But with you it. are a. Ser- don't fuck with your hat. Well, the hat means something to you. It's not just a fucking hat, right? I mean, no, that's, that's true. I'm. I'm wearing an LA hat in. In. In like because I feel like I'm part of LA at this point. And yeah. There's a recent tragedy, and whenever I go to. A, I wear a hat to a Wait, metal show. Is this a recent tragedy hat? I don't. I'm no, no. Oh, Kobe Bryant. I mean, just the no. Fact meaning that that's why you're wearing the hat, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, honestly, I would have probably have a Blackhawks hat on today if not for what's been going on. Oh, okay. It's just kind of like when I feel so like hats matter. I feel more part of the city when I feel when I feel like really kind of L.A. Meaning, uh-huh. like when I go to a metal show, I feel very L.A. Like when I go see Slayer, I'm like, yeah, this is it's a very L.A. thing for me. So like. You know, when I went, if I if, if Motorhead was still a band and I was seeing them, I would be wearing a probably an LA hat if I went to that show. Okay, you know. So, do we want to cover the question from the previous show of our uh, our, our listener question that we've never gotten on? So I figured no, we because I I think we need to find someone. We're talking about the Canada thing. Yeah, I think we need to find someone who is it's affected them personally, and maybe our guest today it, it has affected them, and then we can get into it naturally. I don't want to force it. Also, it doesn't. For me, the Canada thing, I don't, it's not affecting me personally. So I would like to talk to someone who it affected. I think it affects a lot of people, quite frankly. It does. I mean, it does. It does. And it, and it can affect, I mean, the only thing Canada has affected me is I booked a commercial in Canada, which forced me to give up my ticket to the very last fucking Rush concert okay, that well, was in go. Los Angeles. To see Neil Peart. I need yeah. to jump in and say I would have not gone to that commercial. Yep. All right. Our guest today. Well, uh, you, you brought up Rush. Nope. Got it. And, and, and. That's all it took. And all I'll that say is this. That motherfucker was like, ain't nobody talking about Neil Peart without me. Do you Dude, know it's Neil Peart? Here's the deal. Do you know Neil Peart? Do you know, did you know his name was actually Neil Peart? First of all, stop saying it over and over yeah, again. You sound like You a need to come over to my apartment so you can see my collection of Rush bobbleheads. And T-shirts. Okay, and so tickets. Rush aficionado and writer and podcaster and broadcaster Brendan Smith is with us today. But everybody. did you know how to say his name properly? Because I never uh, absolutely. did. You did. I did. How long I didn't ago did in you the eighties? Uh, okay, all right. I so, didn't in the eighties. Okay, but because later. Nobody ever really. I'm guessing he just got to the. He was probably one of those guys. Like I'm not correcting. Neil Pert didn't want to talk to anybody. No, but I'm just saying. I'm sure people said. You know, if he ever did shows. 
I guarantee you, most people were not saying his name right, and he probably a million never percent said a word. He just exactly. let him say. Doesn't it. care because he also doesn't want to sign an autograph or take a picture with you. Oh, really? When he passed away, that someone goes, "I would like to see everyone's story about the time they asked Neil Peart for an autograph," <laughs> because it's always going to be like, "Get no, dude, no, no." Like he wasn't. He didn't want to meet and greet. He wanted to fucking play drums. Yeah. If you met him out in the world. The word was you could talk to him about motorcycling. Yes. Okay. If you could talk about something else, if you, had, if you were interesting on, don't talk to him about music, drumming, rush. Doesn't want to talk about that with you. Yeah. But Ayn Rand. Okay. Motorcycling. Motorcycling he was and huge. Ayn Rand is ready to go. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, I teach his own, right? Exactly. But Rush was never, they were never like a let's go party with our fans kind of band. No, you know but that, I mean? that's, yeah, no. There was but Getty and Alex did. They, I'll just say, Getty and Alex. Alex looks were like infant. he wanted to have fun. They, but they, their meet and greets are legendary because they waited for every nerdy dude and his fucking brother or yeah. whoever he dragged to the show. And they were all nerds. To go say hi. And so they were, they were okay that is with a that. line of nerds. Absolutely. You couldn't, you couldn't do a casting call for a movie about nerds and gather as many nerds that show up for a fucking Rush concert. Like, it's, it's such. Like, and this is what I was saying earlier when you were like, when you had to jump in, it's because there are no casual Rush fans. It doesn't exist. You either fucking love that yeah. band or you're like, I don't know, I heard Tom Sawyer. You know what I mean? Literally, there's no, there's no like, oh no, I, I get into him a little bit here and there. Like, uh-uh, I'm, I'll, I'm, I love Tom Sawyer. I'm also going to listen to Mystic Rhythms. All right? Like, so, I, uh, in the 80s when I was in high school, uh, baseball team, every time we went to a game on the bus, I took out my Sony Walkman, popped boom. in, the cassette of twenty one twelve. That's what I listened to to get ready. Yeah, for there's your psych up music because the priests of the temples of Syrinx are coming, dude. It's a, it's just, it's just a fucking intense album. Whenever just... I plug in an electric guitar, the first chords I play are usually temples of Syrinx. Like, <laughs> it's like because it's, it's fairly Rush is a band. It's such a fucking weird band because you very rarely do I listen to a band and follow the bass, like it's the lead instrument, and yeah. follow the drums, like they're a lead instrument. And when I listen to Rush, it's almost like, and I'm, a, as a guy who plays the guitar, I don't want to call myself a guitar player, but I play the guitar at home. Mm -hmm. But like, I, I usually focus on the guitar, and with, and I love Alex Lyson, and I love the way he plays, but I really find myself like following the bass lines, and being like, oh man, that is fucking insane. Like, it's just, it's just a different experience when I listen to that band. I fucking love it. Yeah, Alex Lifeson and uh, Andy Summers uh, were two guys that I, when I, when you, because you have a hard time sometimes when you listen to the guitaring, mm -hmm. it's, it, there's something extra there. And then you realize that how they're holding their hands and what they're doing is like something that most guys were not doing. Exactly. It's, it was, it's and an then interesting it, then style it starts to that... make sense why they sounded the way they did. Yeah. And it's a unique sound that almost like, especially like those two people you mentioned, Andy Summers, Police, and then uh, Alex Lifeson, they almost blend into the music. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but also, Brendan, that is like I was saying, that's how I came to follow you on Twitter. Um, is what you write about music. And I always thought that was, it was always, I was like, oh, I, I appreciate what this guy's saying. And then there was always usually a funny spin on it. And then you would do shit like review 7-Elevens in North Hollywood. And, that, <laughs> and I would be like, what is this they fucking lunatic to, doing? They go together if you think about it. <laughs> it's, all, it's all me culture. Dude, it's very... <laughs> if, if you need to know what the best the best 7-Eleven in the San Fernando Valley is, yes, I can tell yeah. you. Dude, yeah, I love those. Yeah. <laughs> I love those. It's important to know. Were you yeah. like John music head from the get-go in oh, your life? Big time. Big did you time. have older brothers or sisters or a dad or a mom that was big into music that influenced you? I did not. Okay. But there was divorce, so there was a lot of time. There was a okay. lot of free time. And I was okay at sports, 
but I didn't have the drive to be like an amazing baseball player or an amazing basketball player. Nor did I have the drive to be a drummer or a guitar player. Yeah. For some reason, though, I could just sit in my room forever and listen to Where'd records. I, well, I was born in Pittsburgh, and then divorce took us to uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico in s- when I got sixth grade. And Albuquerque in 1980 is a metal city. Interesting. Dude, okay. I, a bet. Metal, I bet. Metal, mostly because our Native American brothers fucking love metal. So... Our radio stations, Rock 108 and 94 Rock, Boom. they would play Billy Joel, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Who, Led Zeppelin, and then they'd throw in Iron Maiden, Rush, Van Halen, ACDC. <sighs> I mean, you would literally Dude, you just fucking go... fucking the good ones, baby. No, it, but yeah. it, it, that's just how those stations were. So I grew up listening to all this incredible music, and all of those bands came to Albuquerque because it's between Dallas and Los Angeles. It's on the way. So you guys on the way. Knew. The research showed the fans were there. Those yeah. places sell out, yeah. man. But before the records came out, Rush started two different tours in Albuquerque. No wow. kidding. Yeah, the Signals tour and oh, the wow. Grace Under Pressure's tour. So Those were back-to-back, back, weren't they? It was a, yeah, it was just a sellout. Were and you a record store junkie, too? Big time. Okay. Yeah, big time. Like high fidelity is kind of my autobiography. Yeah. I love that in movie. A way. But I, I I've never run a record store. Right. I worked in a record store. You did. You did. Yeah. Where did you? Where in, uh, in Tower Westwood? Ooh. And part time at Tower Sunset. So okay. Oh, so you're part are, of the, So you're part of the history there, man. That is I mean, honestly yes. the history of stealing. <laughs> the t- <laughs> the history of stealing from your employer. <laughs> You got a lot of you got a lot of fr- oh, yeah. five finger five finger deals. Yeah, they're they're, clo- they're closed now, and it's past yeah. the uh, what's the. Uh, and I wonder how they went out of business. Statue of the, <laughs> this guy's been swimming in fucking locations. CDs over here. Yeah, it's it's been th- nearly thirty years. So yeah, you're, but you're everyone okay. did. Everyone had to supplement their their income. May I say that back in the day, there was a used CD store right directly next to the whiskey on Sunset, where the cat where the uh, cat club kind of. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, right, 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 right in there, right in there. There was there was Duke's, which was the diner, and then there was yeah. this little C- UCD store, and all the CDs in that store were sold to them from Tower Sunset employees. <laughs> wow! Because the, people would take CDs and, and just then go sell down the street and go make money. And go make money. That was your yeah. That was your extra income. It was the, your side hustle. Everybody, it's your side hustle. The the night that I took the Led Zeppelin box set that came out in the fall of 1990, dude, the security I guard never... said to me, "Take me one." Just grab one. Take grab one. Yeah. one. Yeah. Dude, everybody, those, it was a big square box. Yeah. Everybody was stealing those, dude. I knew like five people that would go with trench coats cut out in the sides, and they would st- I'm like, that's a massive box set. I'm the only asshole that I know that paid for that fucking box set. <laughs> I still have it, but I paid for it, and I'm the only, everyone else is like, you paid for that? I go, dude, it's Led Zeppelin. But I was in yeah. high school. I was like, I've got to have this. I, I didn't know any better. Probably broke the bank, too, right? Dude, it was not cheap for for who I was and what I was doing at the time. But see, to me, those are the exciting days. You don't really get that anymore, right, with the invent of iTunes and the way the world has evolved. And I'm not, like, again, whatever, teach his own. But there was something exciting about the big, the, 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 event, the events, the releases, certain, certain, especially certain bands. Not all of them, but there was very specific bands that they would do stuff. If you were really a huge music junkie, sometimes re-releases were very excited if they were digitally remastered and, like, you thought... You were going to be gaining this new insight. All these things that matter. Two things that have gone away that are are a little bit sad, but also I understand with the way conveniences and everything in the world, is having to go 
line up to buy concert tickets. Yep. Yeah. Did that. Get there early. Dude, they're coming out of the Sears. It's the Ticketmaster. the Sears outlet. You got to get down there fucking early. You got to beat my mom's dropping me and three friends off at 630 so we can stand in line with a bunch of 40-year-old dudes to buy Rush tickets. You know what I mean? Like, I missed that. That was fun as shit. I have camped out. Ooh, overnight? I, I've camped out overnight Dude. for Grateful Dead tickets. Ooh, what show? Uh, Chicago, Rosemont Horizon, 87, 88, Dude, God somewhere damn. in there. Oh, yeah, you 2 at Rosemont Horizon on the Joshua Tree Tour. Fuck. My mother stood in line for us in Albuquerque, New Mexico for the Van Halen 1984 show nice. because oh. tickets went on sale during the school day on that for that show. Holy so shit. So my mother went down and stood in line. And you saw Van Halen on, on the, the 1984, 1984 oh, yeah. tour. Oh, yeah, but I had already seen them a couple times before that. Which, but, those uh, were the know, heydays, man. Uh, obviously, you moved. Now you're talking about Chicago. I'm assuming you weren't traveling. I went to shows. college in, in Chicago. Okay. You yeah. sound kind of like you're like, we're born halfway between Chicago and Pittsburgh with the, the way you Oh, speak. I can do the Pittsburgh accent in two <laughs> seconds. <laughs> you're just sitting here. I can, so I can pull form, that out. So, where were you formative years? Uh, probably, I probably Albuquerque. Albuquerque, yeah, okay. probably. Well, Which, no. Well, Chicago. It, it, Chicago musically was okay. critical. Yeah, to yeah, me. yeah. Because yeah. I'm in Chicago from '86 to '90. Oh okay. my, my god, college dude! Years. And and by the time I get to college, I'm transitioning out of metal and I'm going into sort of post punk replacements. Who's do Sonic Youth Who's Pixies? Yeah, and Chicago was the best city. Yeah, for you're that right. Stuff. You're right at the cusp of the boom. Yep. So yeah. you you Nirvana you, before yeah. Nirvana. Yep. And going to shows in Chicago is is there's it's the best city. The Metro, the, Vic, the, the Metro, the Metro, Metro, the Metro, the Riviera, the Aragon Ballroom, little clubs like Batteries Not Included and Exit. But yeah, I mean the, the Cabaret Metro. There's no other place, dude, in this country like that. Fantastic. That why did why school in Chicago? I went to uh, Northwestern. Okay, and, for what? Uh, uh, for theater. Okay. I went to Northwestern. So you were going to, you, you had that in you, you had that little I bug. I totally did. Yeah. I had the, I should be on Saturday Night Live bug. Okay. Mm. When I was like a junior and a senior in high so school. So you're listening to records in your room in Albuquerque and also simultaneously falling in love with sketch comedy on SCTV. television. SCTV. 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 And then of course, you know, the original Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I was one of those kids that, that stayed up late to, just to see if Mr. Bill would. Dude, would show up on, on right? Live. Oh, yeah. God damn, but dude. SCTV was my favorite. Yeah. So Second City being in Chicago, that was a big part of wanting to go to Northwestern to yeah, to kind of be around that, that and get be around that. And yeah. did you get into Second City? I did not. I moved. Out, I moved out here right away rather than staying in Chicago. So you okay. moved out here what, right after college, like ninety one. Right after. I mean, months after. We, okay. my friends and I moved out here with a whole bunch of my friends, and we moved out here in the fall of nineteen ninety. Awesome. And the, and the reason was to get into comedy, like some sort of sketch comedy out here, or what was the goal? Just I, there was no goal. Okay. Like there, there was just like, well, you gotta you either go to L.A., you go to New York, or you stay in Chicago. Okay, and you stay in Chicago and you do plays until someone figures out you're awesome. You go to New York and you do plays, or you come to L.A. Do TV, make a lot of money, and then they'll think you're awesome anyway. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, did music have any influence on you as far as that time? Like this, Did you look at it and go, well, this is also an Because you loved music, right? So- no. I mean, at that time, at that time, staying in Chicago would have been the a- ideal. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. Um, I had actually had friends who moved to Seattle and started a theater company, and I could have gone there. And then Seattle exploded, like, months later. Yeah. yeah. But, um, no, I mean, it's just... I, I mean, there was also a girl... That was a, a part of the equation. A girl and a son. It yeah. was sun. Sun, so, like actual sunlight. But but I was also with my friends, and 
we were moving into a fully formed world. There were already people we knew who were out here. Ah, okay. So it was not like this mysterious, strange land. People like, could tell you what was up. Where did so you move to? to? Uh, when you first well, came out here. The first apartment we had before we we moved our main place was Hollywood. But we lived in Palms for about four months. Because I was Palms with, is West LA, correct? It, Culver City. Culver City. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Overland and Venice. And one of my great friends, Brent Olson, had gotten into UCLA, UCLA Law School. UCLA, <laughs> UCLA You'll get there. You'll get there. Law School. <laughs> they shouldn't have not had that pot gummy. <laughs> UCLA Law. And Palms was like the graduate student neighborhood back then. Like it was not the cool tech, right. like young kids with cash living. Um, so he found the apartment. And when we got out here, we were immediately, and another friend of ours was living on Melrose and Kings. So every night we were coming to Hollywood to go out. We were going to Smalls, which was right around the corner from this apartment was it, in was the where, early 90s. Was the where best bar Vu? that's ever existed in L.A. Right here at the end of Gower, whatever structure Vu, that is. That, it's Poor Vu now. It's like this French uppity place. It was the greatest bar that this city had. Yeah. It was called Smalls. And uh, we were basically driving from Palms to Hollywood every night to go out. And finally, we were like, fuck this. Let's live here. Let's, we got to find a place in Hollywood. So we found a craftsman home near Fountain and Fairfax, 1339 North Ogden Drive. <laughs> and the, the guy, <laughs> all those homes in that neighborhood now are worth $2 million bucks. Wow. Our landlord couldn't get $325,000 for it yeah. back in the fall of 1990. So he rented it to us idiots. So five of us lived together. We had a pool in the backyard. Oh, my God. A guest house where the one roommate stayed. And uh, it, it was uh, it was heaven. I, and we had the house. We had the house that everyone well, came, came to. to uh, you have a fucking after, pool. There's right. five of you idiots oh, yeah. living together. Oh, like, yeah. That's yeah. like beers every night. Who gives it's a shit? Unreal. We're going to oh, live yeah. forever. I you know I want to apologize to anybody who moves out here now because it's unreal. What you had now does not does, it's, doesn't it, good, good, it doesn't. Well, it does if you have $10,000 a month to do right. it. Exactly. But we yeah. paid and ten know, three, 300 bucks a piece. Yeah. You know, crazy, crazy, yeah. super crazy. Yeah. But now, not the not like early '90s out here is literally when that transition that people talk about, and it's like being it's joked about, but there is a sense that Nirvana hit MTV. Yeah. And the next day, like Guns N' Roses was packing their bags and walking down Sunset crying. You know what I mean? That was like the 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 way they portray it is. Um, people saw Teen Spirit, and then metal ended. Well, I, I remember because the, a lot of the metal clubs on Sunset were still open. Mm-hmm. Like We used to go to the Coconut Teaser Dude. At, at Crescent Heights and Sunset because their happy, hour was, their happy hour food was free. They had shitty hot dogs and <laughs> shitty nachos. I'll take that today. And, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. And happy hour beer. The, there was an Acapulco at... Dude. Sunset in La Brea, which uh, is now the Sycamore Tavern or whatever. Yep, that you place used to have seventy-five cent margaritas on yes. Monday nights, dude. Right, so blacked out and and shitty Acapulco garbage happy food. Hour food. Yep, garbage food for a dollar. Yeah. So we would go, you know, we would go to the Coconut Teaser. We would go to I when I moved here, I wanted to see what Gazzari's was. It was still dude. open. Gazzari's was the key club, right? Exactly. Yeah, and and so the metal scene in L.A. Because Decline of Western Civilization 2 is one of my favorite movies of so all time. So fuck, I just rewatched right. it the other day. It's right. so fucking good. So I wanted, I wanted to know, and it was all cheese metal. 
in the fall of 1990, 1991, it is 100%. It's like Cinderella knockoffs. The children of Poison. The children of Warrant. I mean, you could take any any BAM magazine or any industry magazine and just mix and match all the headshots and make your own bands. Yeah. It was... Everyone was the same. So when Nirvana hit, it just was like a bomb that it was just dropped something on the city. different. I mean, oh yeah, you, 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 that scene had been exhausted. The the like the bands that like people don't realize this. They think Metallica is a Bay Area band, and yeah, technically maybe, but they started in L.A. Fuck and yeah. then they were like, you know where we can get more gigs and get out of this sort of melee of like fucking just you know inferiority and fucking oversaturation. We can go up to San Francisco, and that's what they did. And then the few bands that went up there became massive. Absolutely. And and the, then the, you are left with these fucking hangers on. That well, corporate. It was corporate rock. Yeah. That's what the, the Sunset Strip had become. Super corporate. Yeah. Like I like was a things P, do. I was a PA on the 1992 MTV Music Awards. Oh my god, dude! And that show was at Poly Pavilion, and it was Nirvana and Pearl Jam. It was Axel with Elton John. It was Black Crows and Def Leppard. I, then they got in a fight. Nirvana and, yeah. and Guns N' Roses got in a fight. I yep. remember that. And he broke it up. And he started I, it. I'm the one. I was like, Kurt, <laughs> calm the fuck down. <laughs> Axel, go take some fucking Xanax. <laughs> but I, I remember watching the sound check for Nirvana. And the, the place was empty. And they, they, they did a sound check with Rape Me. And then all the MTV executives freaked out because they were, they were worried that they were going to like pull a stunt and play Rape Me during the show. And I believe if you watch the tape of that show, they started playing Rape Me. In to, to be them. dicks, to be right. dicks, to because be dicks. they literally hated everything that yep. was corporate in music, and yep. they fucking could not have given a shit yep. at that point, mm-hmm. which is also another reason to kind of love them. You know what I mean? It's like anybody who's sort of like, you know what, fuck these, because the MTV executives then, now, whenever, are usually out of touch uh, people who have no business being in charge of entertainment in, at all, you know, uh, uh, young idiots, young old. I mean, now they're now. <laughs> yeah, they're... I mean, it sounds like we're all similar in the fact that we gravitate towards not intentional anti-establishment, but the music you do what you do, mm-hmm. and if people are just not into you, doesn't fucking matter. Which is probably what makes most of the bands that we're attracted to authentic, brilliant, anyways, because yeah. they're just doing what they're fucking doing. They're not trying to comply with. I you. happen to like it's it, their, so their, I'm into yeah. it. You might not, so you don't have to be. It's okay. You know? and, and 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 what comes with that? Conflict. Conflict with the norm, and. That's enjoyable. That's also entertainment, man. That's like another level of entertainment of you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what these guys are about to pull. And yeah. you have yeah. to accept it. And we're in, a, in a time when like the whole thing is like, yeah, like you know they don't give a fuck about you. Yeah. So they're like, oh, these guys aren't scared of us. We need to figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're all bipolar. Yeah. I mean, the Axel-Kurt fight, those are two bipolar dudes yep. going at it. Yeah. Yep. You know, medicated or not medicated. Yeah. <laughs> Pick I mean, a side. Go. <laughs> And I'm sure, like, I don't know how, how you feel about this, but I feel like Axl Rose, just what I've seen from him on Twitter and stuff, has been a kind of a, an, a sort of an improved personality. I like, I don't know what the politics in this room are, but it is continually surprising to see Axl Rose go after Trump, the president. Yeah, because it, he could be a full blown MAGA guy. Dude, he's like, from, he gets actually, off the bus from Indiana, and he's a fucking asswipe right. for like thirty years in this town, right. and then he probably hates every. I mean, his song. If you listen to Lies. Cover to cover, you're listening to a lot of 
unsavory fucking lyrics about some fucking people that if you talked about like that today, you'd be done, son. Yeah. Um, so it's it's very interesting. I agree. When I saw that, I was like, oh, Axel Rose is on Twitter? What's this jerk off have to say? <laughs> and I literally, I see one tweet and I was like, oh, that can't be right. And I, is he making fun of Hollywood? And then I go back and I like go through his feed and I'm like, Axel Rose cares about other people and thinks we should all have the same rights? This as is does, mind blowing. As does Sebastian Bach. Dude, <laughs> how crazy is that? You think Sebastian Bach, the guy who wore a, wore a shirt in the 80s that said AIDS kills fags dead. He wore a shirt on MTV and they were like, dude, what is this? He's like, I don't care. And everyone's like, hey, you're an asshole. And then he had to come out and go, eh, I'm kind of an asshole, sorry. But now he's like, no, yep. guys, we should all. I think as you age, you're like, why shouldn't everyone have the right? Everyone has a right to be happy with who they are. There should be no law against being who you are unless who you are hurts other people. The only person who is like right now who being who they are hurt other people are politicians. There's yeah. only two types of people when you get older. You the either Dannys and the Donnies. You either figure it out, you start slowly figuring it out, or you get even fucking angrier. Yes. Like there's there's only two you, sides well to said. this. Yeah. You go against you start to real you start to know that you're wrong and you hang on to it anyway. And dude, I'm sorry, but that is where a lot of cancer comes from. That's where a lot of this fucking people, it's just anger, man. It just fucking seeds in there. And you're like, I'm, I'm right. I mean, when you hear people go, fuck science, you're like, oh, whoa, 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 fuck science. <laughs> but like, that's how angry they are. They're yeah. like, I don't care if it's real. I don't care if it's true. Like, you're like, Jesus, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's to me, like, it's refreshing when I can be like, oh, Yep, I did that. I said that. That was wrong. I didn't do that. I should have done this. And now I've learned, and I'm not going to do that anymore. Like, I like that. That's growth. That's mm-hmm. fine. People should be able to do that. But then when you're like, no, 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 that's how I did it 10 years ago. That's how I'm doing it now. Like, hey, things have changed, man. Things have changed. <laughs> you, uh, I definitely want to get to the Tower Records stuff because, I mean, it is in that the big picture. It's, history, it, it's, yeah, it is. But um, you, when you came out here, what was the agenda? Other than coming out with your friends, like what was the long game for you? I know it's hard to say when you're in your twenties, there is no long game, but yeah, but yeah, per se, beers. what? I, <laughs> well, I think I'm guilty of stretching the summer after college out for about five or six years. Yeah. I, th- <laughs> yeah. I, thought were, I thought you were gonna say to this moment. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, that's debatable too. But but I, you know, I went to school with some pretty heavy people. You know, uh, Northwestern has cranked out yes, dude, a ton of fucking people and. A ton of writers. There been there were a lot of people in the theater department when I was there, who, you know, are showrunners now. All showrunners. I mean, there's a ton of showrunners. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there were guys that ran Friends when they were in their 30s. You know, the showrunner of Ray Donovan, all from the same acting class. Wow. Like there's, it's, it's, it was a heavy program, but I, you know, I was with my closest friends. We had a fully formed world. I was starting to do plays and starting to do comedy, and and I had a great friend, uh, my friend Betsy Thomas, who's now a showrunner and a TV director. She was r- writing her early stuff and putting on plays, and I would be in those plays. And you know, back then there was no such thing as branding. Right. Alt com- alt comedy hadn't hit LA yet, and there was no improv scene. There was no UCB. There was no Improv Olympic. There was no Second City here. Wow. When you would do, I was really into, interested in sketch comedy and improv because the, the people that I knew who stayed in Chicago were all doing long-form improv. And we would just cobble together people, and we would do shows at the little black boxes on Santa Monica and Wilcox. Yeah. You know, or plays at the Hudson. And it was just, I think back then there was just a sense like you just keep doing stuff and hopefully something happens. There's no internet. 
There's no Twitter. There's no Facebook. The only way you can promote yourself is by fax machine or calling <laughs> people on the phone. Or going out. You had to be out all the time, showing your face constantly. Absolutely. Constantly. And I, I started to do, I started to dabble in one-man shows because I'd always been, that was, that was something I did at Northwestern. That was something I was interested in. And, you know, I, there was just, you just did stuff and you just hoped that something would happen. And you did it because you, know? you fucking liked it and it was you liked fun it. and it right. was you're making art and you're doing something that you're enjoying with people you like. Then the thing that happened, I remember, then people, you know, you're out here for a couple of years and you realize you got to get your act together and just start doing stuff. And I had some friends that hit pretty early. Like we all knew David Schwimmer. Yeah. And when he, you know, him, we knew him in college. So when he got friends and that exploded, that was like, well, shit! If Swimmer can do that, like I can fucking do that. Yeah, Jesus and friends. Was, what's friends? Uh, friends was a TV show, or this <laughs> <laughs> guy? It was this really every amazing single episode. <laughs> yeah, it was this really amazing show with the Odyssey uh, on uh, Sepulveda and Olympic. <laughs> Ran for like two years. <laughs> friends, uh, um, but um, you know, it, it, it just everything just felt possible. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a that's a kind of a key thing. Is like when you get out here, you know, you're wide eyed and everything's crazy, but then like. Somebody next to you gets picked for something. You're like, "Oh shit! This is this is a possibility. This yeah. is a thing. This can happen." Like and you said, always if he can happen. do it. That's always going to happen. Yeah. Like who got on that TV? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah, dude. Yeah. That's that hack. What? What is a timeless? What is said more in Hollywood over who got what role than it is on Ray Donovan? Because like that's his number one line is what? Hey Ray, I was a what? He, he always says what? He never can hear anybody the first time. He usually time. goes like this. Hey, so did you hear that uh, so-and-so got so-and-so? Oh, cool. And then you walk away. Fuck that shit. Yeah. This is bullshit. <laughs> what the fuck? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> that piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> but also, but, but like it's, it's all, the, pos- the positive side of that is you see it and you're like, oh, my God, that is, it is possible. Anything, this thing, you know. This thing that you kind of look at. I mean, at least for me, you growing up, no, you know, you weren't like, oh, you can just be an actor. Oh, you can just go be a comic. Like, what the fuck? No, just go. And then you go be. And then you go, and you realize, like, oh yeah, you can. You do. That's it. That's how it works. But it go. has a lot of pitfalls, a lot of high moments. You, you, it sounds to me like obviously you also chose to find a way to live your life while you're out here too. Yeah, we're talking well, about I, thirty. But years I was ago. lucky. I was lucky because I had a fully formed world. I didn't come out here alone. Yeah. yeah. You know, Which I already my best friends were living with me. Uh, now a, a bunch of them left because they weren't say, into entertainment, but you know we were still the core of a very large peer group. Okay, and you know, and people from Chicago kept coming, and we oh, knew dude, they still they they're still coming. Go, they're still coming, and we we knew we were friends of friends who did Second City and 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 the original Improv Olympic in Chicago, and and when people would come to L.A. because we had that house for almost six years, they'd they would you. stay with us. Yeah. Pilot season at our house was always jammed with people. Because pilot season used to be a thing. Th- two months. Two right? months. F- January, February, beginning of March. Yep. Maybe yeah. into April. And we would always have someone, or two or three people, from Chicago living with us in that house. For those months, yeah. And it was and it was great. you know. And, and so I didn't have to do the... I didn't have to do things to meet people. you know, Because we had a, I was lucky to have a really rich world. Mm-hmm. And that made L.A. so much easier. And the other things that distracted me, the music scene in L.A., because L.A. is such an amazing city to go see music. It's everywhere. I hit that hard, too. Yeah. You know, because the, the, the punk clubs and the clubs that did, you know, for lack of a better term, the grunge acts. Yeah. I was really into, you know, indie rock. 
all the all the indie rock bands from the mid '80s to the mid '90s. I, I've seen them all at all of those little places that used to exist in LA. A lot of them are gone, but like Club Lingerie on Sunset, Al's Bar downtown, uh, Bogarts in Long Beach. Jesus, you know yeah. that's that's what I did. You know, to my detriment, that was extending. <laughs> that was, you know, rather than focus on how can I get in this show or how can I prepare for this audition tomorrow, I'm like, Soul Asylum is playing at the fucking country club in Reseda. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta we're get going. Down I there. gotta get down there. Dude. Thus, my point about blowing off the 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 commercial right. for the R40 Rush tour. Right. I made those decisions. Yeah. 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 You know, maybe to my detriment. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, you got you get you lived your life. Yeah. Man. I mean, that's how I, I that's how I look at it. I look at it like my whole thing is I say this a lot, which is like when you're on your deathbed, if you have any time to reflect, are you gonna be like Remember that time I saved money by not going to see Rush? At the <laughs> you're, you're never going to fucking say that. You're always going to be like, God damn, I'm glad I went to that show. You know what I mean? Now, yeah. I got a fun commercial out of it, and I made money at the time that I needed, and I'd seen Rush four times at that point. Right. So I was like, uh, and then in my head, I was like, well, they're going to do another tour. Right. So I'll see the next one because although I should have said, you idiot, 40 years is enough, and they probably want to fucking hang it up. But they're I was like, kiss. What? Yeah, they're yeah. not kiss. Exactly, yeah. they're not kiss. But yeah. like, um, we've yeah, been retired so, again. So I was like, I, yeah. In in hindsight, it's bummer because I've seen. I saw the last Grateful Dead show. I saw the last Tom Petty show. I saw the last. Um, uh, oh fuck shit! I saw another last. I've seen like two or three last shows of bands that have been like, oh my god, that's pretty epic that you yeah. were. And I would have loved to have been at the last Rush show. I would have loved to have seen any show on that tour yeah. because. Rush Live is fucking awesome. I've been literally eyeballs deep in YouTube videos of old Rush yeah. stuff, and I'm just like, man, that band, I put this on Twitter, but that band has gone through more weird hairstyles, just the three of them, than, like, <laughs> than all three of the Decline of Western Civilization movies combined. Like, it's so fucking bizarre. They look like they've gone through some bizarre fucking haircuts. The same guys that I moved out here with, the three that left, we pick, we go to see Iron Maiden, and we did with Rush on the R40 tour. We pick a different city to visit together. That's fun. And go to, to shows together. That's fucking awesome. So we just did, we with this same group, we did Iron Maiden in Portland. Love we it. did the Rush R40 show in D.C., you know, at the Jiffy Lube Arena, you know, an hour outside yeah. of town or whatever. So we've maintained uh, our sort of, that's my big chill group. We've maintained yeah. that with, by going to concerts together. That's awesome. Picking places around the country. To see our favorite bands together, dude. Live music. I'm sorry, yeah, but there, there is like there was a there was a split second when I was I thought I was fed up with it in the sense that I I streamed a fish concert and I was like, oh well, this is great. I don't have to wait in line for beer. I don't have to wait in line to take a shit. I don't have to wait in line. Like I can just First sit off, on a who's couch. Taking a shit at a goddamn concert. <laughs> it's not what are you talking I, about. It's not ideal, bro. It's not ideal. It, but I know. But you put that up in the top three things you do at a concert. The way you just, just described saying, that. Just saying, if you have to take one and instead of holding it through a whole show, you can actually go take a shit at your own toilet because the show you can pause it whatever like i'm just saying i thought for a split second i was like wow maybe this will replace live music you know yeah. and then i was like then you go to a show and you're like oh you can't replace this no. feeling it's like no. watching a comedy special it's like yeah that was good but being in the room when it happens is like holy shit this is way better well like, that's when you realize like when comedy central and and, and ha t comedy t channel came out and like it was starting to kill live comedy 
and people thought it's never going to recover. And then, like, same thing. People finally realized you can't. It doesn't all translate. You need yeah. to get. The, you need to see things up close and live. You, and be in the room you, with the energy of it yeah, all. You know what I, I mean? That's why I never really worry about like people are worried about like how the world is evolving and we're all going to be strangers. No, I, I I feel like no, that can't happen. Kids because, are already rebelling against that. It's not even rebelling against it. It's just like again. All you have to do is talk about a shared experience of going to a live concert or something live, and that live experience, you cannot replace that with a screen. just can't. So I just don't think it's ever going to go away because there is something different about being there and feeling it. Like I mean, there's nothing more amazing than going to a live concert and you feel the drum kick go through you. Dude. You know what I mean? Or you, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you, There's something. You can, you're not going to get that just sitting in a house. It took Hollywood a decade-ish maybe less than a decade, to figure out what to really do with Jack Black and what to really do with Zach Galifianakis and what to really do with Patton Oswalt. Yeah. I, well, I was friends with Jack from the act because he was at the Actors Gang and I did shows at the Actors Gang. And the people that saw those three people live early, all of us were minds blown. 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 Minds blown. I mean, I'm sure Jack Black minds must have been fucking blown. awesome. Tenacious D, early Tenacious D, which started at um, charity events for the Actors Gang, his theater company that he yeah. joined right out of college. Where um, he met Kyle. Where he met Kyle. Yeah. Because Kyle's part of the original group that formed the Actors Gang. Like, I, I remember seeing live Tenacious D at Pedro's on Vermont, which was this space that did, it was like a Spanish restaurant that did early alt comedy. And it was there were seven people there, but two of them were Andy Dick and Ben Stiller, right. who were getting their minds melted by right. what they were seeing on stage. Do you know what I mean? Yes, and I do. And it was like, oh, holy fucking shit. And you cannot replace, like, live is so, Dude, it's I, so important. I was working in 2000, 2000, I think. I was working on, the, or no, 2001. I was working 2002, maybe? 2001, end of 2001, working on the Jamie Kennedy experiment, and we blew off. I was a PA, so I blew off work early because Tenacious D was playing at the Derby. And nice. Me and my buddy, Ryan Brown, were like, we got to get, I told my boss, I go, I'm getting the fuck out of here, man, Tenacious. She's like, yeah, do whatever you want. I don't give a shit. <laughs> and we bolted, and we're like, we were, it, it, I remember getting in there, 12 bucks, yeah. so stood in the back. Uh, train wreck and then tenacious D. I don't know if you know J.R. Reed. If you're, uh, we just hiked to the top of uh, uh, not Lookout Mountain in Altadena, but uh, to the side of the old hotel up there. Oh, dude, yeah, dude, he's one of my main guys. J.R. We love Jr. on this. Show. JR's been on the show. He J has. Yeah, dude, Jr. I met. I was a van driver in, at the U.S. Comedy Arts Festival in Aspen. Just a van driver, a yeah. drunk as fuck van driver, and I picked him and. A girl I ended up dating was in his group. Uh, I went up. Me and my buddy had to go pick his group up to take them to his show. But the weather was so bad, it took us like 30 minutes to get up the driveway of this house they were staying at outside of town. Outside of town, you lose walkie range. It's kind of free for all once you get out there as a van driver. We got all the way up, and we're like, hey, man, if you guys can chill for like an hour, then we'll drive down. It'll be a lot safer. And they were all like, yeah, we don't have to be there for a while. You want a beer? And like me and my buddy stood there with JR, this Amy wow. chick, and a bunch of other, everyone in their group. And we just had beers and then drove them to their show. And then, then I saw Trainwreck live at the Wiltern opening for the D. And he was in the outside signing autographs. And I just walked by, not realizing it's JR Reed. Not realizing this guy I've been watching is the same dude I picked up. And Lee. And Lee. Not realizing any of that. I just go, hey, man, good show. And he's got a line of people. He goes, hey, John Huck, how are you? And I'm like, 
what in the fuck? I go, <laughs> I go, I'm good, man. How? So right there, I'm like, I must know this guy. So I'm like, good, man. How are you? And then everyone's looking at me as I cut the line and have a conversation with this dude. And then he's like, oh, man, I remember when you picked us up. And I'm like, oh, my God, this guy was in that group. What the fuck? Like, two and two together, I just start talking to J.R. Reed all the time. I'm like, this dude is the best. He's the best. I have a picture on my phone of him and me. From the Kiss show at Dodger Stadium in 1997, and we painted our faces and wore army jackets to be Kiss Army. Wow. Yeah, uh, my group, my peer group, and his peer group merged in the early 90s. Gotcha. Okay. So we met, that That was one of the first outside group. Like the actors they came people. in. Yeah. They, our groups merged, and the first time I met Jack, he was rifling through my CDs at a party at our house on Ogden, and I was like... Who's this little troll yeah. touching my fucking <laughs> hey, CDs? Hey, little fat ass, what like, are you doing in there? Hey, man, what's going on? And he's like, dude, a fucking metal. <laughs> and then Dio, baby. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yes, yes, that Here is. Here we go. Here yeah. We go. yeah. But that's awesome. I mean, that's, that's yeah. an immediate... Music is almost an immediate bond. It's yeah, like, especially it when it's a little bit more obscure, like, you know, maybe not everyone you are friends with is like, loves metal. Because that's how... I'm in a boat where I like... Like Brian's not going to want to go to a Slayer concert with me. You know what I mean? But, Sorry guys. But like, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry guys, that is true. But like, I'm still. I go to. I'll go to shows by myself because I. I yeah. love the music. You know what I mean? But but it's also like, not everyone likes it. You know what I mean? And I get it. Understood. I get it. And the way they wherever you were raised and what you listen to growing up has an effect on that. You know. But like, people who are like, no, I love Dio. You're like, oh shit, you like Dio? Like it's just a. It becomes a, a different language almost. You know that you can share. I like it. I don't know. Dio has rocked for a long, long time. <laughs> no, that whole song is about them giving it up. But it, now you're done. Uh, why don't you pass the rock torch to us? Give us some capes. <laughs> it's like the whole song is like, Dio, time to go. That's a great song. Tenacious D is a fucking awesome, awesome live act. And really, when you can combine good music and comedy, I mean, that's, a, that's yeah, not like, like Weird it's Al incredible. does it really well. And then uh, Tenacious D does it. Uh, Fly to the Concords does it really well. Um, it's not easy to no, do. No, it's rare. Yeah, it's rare. Because it's either really like super hokey. And Weird Al does, he'll purposely make things hokey. You know, but then there's like, it's just sometimes it's just too cheesy. But with those guys, you're like, you're into the song before you realize that the lyrics you're singing are like, and then I bend you over and take you to Brown Town. It's like, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's, well, he's he also, I mean, Kyle's amazing, but Jack, you know, Jack is one of those people that every single person in the peer group knew that person is going to pop. It's just going to happen. Yeah. It took Hollywood a little while to figure out what, like, he was a, a, a recurring character on The Single Guy, Dude. the Jonathan Silverman show. Yeah. You know, and they didn't know what to do with him there. You know, yeah, they didn't I realize mean, that they had this little magical elf, you know, on their own fucking network. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it, it's, everyone knew because his talent is just so special. What did you, so you said that as you're out here, you know, you got to figure your own path. What what were you starting to figure out? What were you doing to try to define your own path? Well, I, I you know, I was, I ha, I did a one man show that popped a little bit and got me aged. What was that about? It was called the Chump Train. It was like ninety five, ninety six, and it the Chump Train is my metaphor for. You're on the chump train if you're in a job that you don't like. You're on the chump train if you're chasing a girl who's not into you. So the chump train was my story of chasing this girl who was real, uh, who I found out at the wrong moment was not into me, and she was actually in love with Liev Schreiber, oh. the real, who was a nobody, just a young actor. Wow. But um, so, and I used, I actually used his name in the show. Uh, <laughs> 
and got a phone call from him asking me not to, which I ignored. <laughs> which I ignored. But uh, but that, that hey man, show, great show. Uh, uh, stop, stop talking using the about fucking me. name, bro. Yeah. <laughs> no, too bad. But I that that show popped for me, and I got Agents of Gersh. And once I got Gersh, then I'm on that track of like they could get me any audition that I wanted, really, or they wanted. Yeah. And um, you know, I did that for a while. They also encouraged me to. They encouraged me to do stand up because they saw me as someone who could be a stand up. Mm-hmm. So they would book me at alt alt nights. I did Largo, you know. I okay. would. Uh, what was your act like? What would you do? Well, I would do, do more stories. It's funny because the reason that I didn't quite pursue it was because I felt that Greg Barron was a better version of me. Gotcha. Because I hadn't honed. I hadn't like spent hadn't worked at it five, all. six, seven years. You know, working at it. I was I good on stage and I could tell a story, mm-hmm. but writing jokes was a little different for me. You know, I, I'd written out a full, you know, hour and a half long thing, but, you know, writing show, jokes like Dana Gold or right. Mary Lynn yeah. or, you know, all those people that were popping at that time, like that, that was not my skill set, nor did I have the discipline to do Largo and then drive to Pasadena to the Ice House. Do another show. And then drive to Westwood and do another show the at Co. Borders Books. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So that that's sort of when I had to sort of figure out what I was doing. And I was a good boy and went to every audition that, you know, Gershwood would send me on. But the other thing that was weird about that period of time was I I was not connected to who I was with the way the world saw me. I was Jack Black in a way. I had long hair and was loud and loved metal. But the world wanted me to meet Jason Bateman or the way Paul Rudd was seen at that exact same time. Gotcha. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm not the handsome leading guy, I'm but I'm not buddy. like the weird buddy. I'm the guy in, in between. I'm yeah. Ron Livingston. And every audition I went on, it would be me, Ron Livingston, Wally Langham. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to be this guy. I tested to be Greg on Dharma and Greg. Wow. You know? But I was not dropped in. Like, I didn't want to be doing that. I wanted to be, like, Jack's character in High Fidelity. Yes. Like, that's how I saw myself. And the world didn't see me that way. Interesting. You know? So I so that that whole period was an odd sort of... You were at odds with yourself. I was at basically. odds with myself. And then I was at odds a little bit with, you know... What Gersh wanted me to do, yeah, and that's sort of when of I trans, you know, I, I made it sort of a, a slight transition to writing. Okay, because I was writing. I just I wasn't writing hard jokes, but I was writing. Yeah, and then that, you know, the long story short is I eventually, when Gersh sort of, they didn't give up on me, but they sort of put you at the pasture a little bit. Yeah, you know, I booked I had booked a, a, a show on VH1 that they set me up for. It was going to be me and. The comic Barry Sobel. I know Barry. We were going to be dressed as cops <laughs> and go into celebrity homes and arrest them for having bad record collections. Uh, so the shtick was uh, we, it was a British show. Okay. And I booked that, and that was like the first like real thing that I'd booked, and they made me turn it down because VH1 money in 1998 or whenever that was, you know, it was like two dollars per show. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And and there was no there was no long term thinking like work just begets work just begets work. It doesn't matter what you do. 
just get on. Just get into the tent. Yeah. Then don't worry. But they were like, no, you're right there. You were right there. You're going to book a pilot. Yeah, and you and, bought and it. Then, and then I didn't book a pilot that pilot season. And then they kind of quit calling. And then luckily I was, I, was able, I was able to like write something that got me signed at UTA as a writer. Okay. So that, well, what was that? Was that a spec? Did you write something a, on spec? I wrote, I wrote an episode of Freaks and Geeks. Okay. On spec. Like literally two weeks after the show had aired because my girlfriend at the time was an executive at NBC. Uh-huh. And she was involved in the in the production of that show, so we were we were watching daily. I was watching dailies of Freaks wow, and you were really getting in there. So I was getting in there, and then she had all these insights about the show. So I wrote a really good, still one of the best things I've ever written. But I wrote a spec, a Freaks and Geeks spec, and Sue Nagel at UTA read it and signed me, and then Ooh. I you know started that track. Hot dog, yeah, hot dog, <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Yeah, really great and really shitty. Really Be, great and really shitty. Really great because really great and really shitty. You finally got some reps, and then really shitty because they weren't getting you out. Or <laughs> no, just like you know, writing is a is an endless hustle. Oh you man, know? you know, yeah, writing is rough. Writing's rough. Yeah, but but you know, again, I didn't have the drive to be. I didn't have the drive to be a super alt comic. Yeah, you know, I, and I think you have to have that drive. You know, I for me, so. it was like, uh, do Largo once a month? Great. That's yeah. awesome. And you weren't clamoring to get on stage every night. No, you weren't freaking no. out to get, yeah. No. Uh-uh. Where yeah. did the, uh, where, so where did the working at the record store come into play? Was that when you first got out here, or was that That was the first, of, that was the first job that okay. I had, was Tower Records. And um, what was it like? I mean, obviously, you know, they've, uh, they've, they've romanticized this Tower Records on Sunset, but you were there. So well, really, I, what I, was I, You know, most of my time was spent at Tower Westwood, mm-hmm. which was a, not a bad little store. But, you know, Westwood's not really a college town. Uh, and it was a small store. Tower Sunset, I felt like there, I felt like there were just a lot of angry people working there. <laughs> and a lot of record snobs. Yeah. And, but not, and not like Aaron's Records, which was the great indie record store on Highland. But like frustrated musicians. I was okay. going to say, people, like, like when you get a, a waiter who's like angry, you're like, yeah, because that guy don't want to be a waiter. He wants to be an actor. Ex- so basically, that, I'm that, working that, at Tower Records, but I should be over at the Whiskey at Go-Go performing 100%. and everybody's seeing me. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Okay. It felt like Guitar like guitar Center has a little, a little bit of that. that yeah. It used too. to, more so back in the day. Now people yeah. are like, oh, if we want to sell instruments, we should now, be, yeah, yeah we're, we're a corporation, exactly. Right. But in the in the 90s, yeah, Guitar man, Center was yeah. absolutely I was angry like, musicians going, what the I fuck should be an exodus. Well, you're not. Sorry, that's Gary Holt's band, my friend. Sorry, you got to go. I just wanted to buy a, a fucking guitar strap, man. Yeah. Did, did uh, I'm assuming, recognizable, well-known people would come in to buy stuff. Oh, my God. Did they get judged on their, purpose, their, their purchases, their purchases? nonstop? <laughs> well, what are you buying wham? It, what is it, this? It, 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 I, I, just being no, honest. Yeah, I mean, no. no, 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 no. For sure. Oh, for sure. You, but but the, the more fun thing was when they would ask you what was current or what was what were you, what were you recommend? What do you recommend? I told John Waits about the replacements. Wow. When John Waite came into Tower Westwood, um, and uh, I was like, oh, there's fucking John Waite from the babies. And he bought, uh, he bought a CD by the band Love Hate. The, the, uh, I, quasi medley. Yes, they yeah. had the, it was the Knuckles. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Jizzy Pearl. Yes, and, dude. And he liked them, and he, he, I said, oh, Love Hate, I'm right on. And he said, what are you listening to right now? And I was like, well, you know, the replacements just put out their last record, and that's my favorite thing right now. And he's like, oh, who are they? And then we just, I'm, I'm having a discussion 
with John Waite about the replacements. That's crazy. You know, it, it, it depended on who it was. Yeah. yeah. You could read when someone didn't want to be talked to, or you could engage when it was clear. Well, see, if okay. he's asking you, what are you listening to? Yeah. He gives a shit. He's or they would say, like, what is this playing on the, like, that's the other common question. Yeah. What's this? What's yeah. what's playing on the, on the house speakers right now? Sure. Because we got to pick what music was on. Like, when the Jane's Addiction record came out, which both Tower of Westwood and Sunset, like, that was on. Which one? Ritual? Ritual. Yeah. Ritual. Yeah. That was just on. And yeah. that Cocteau uh, Twins record, Heaven or Las Vegas, like, that was on. Wow. <laughs> that was a bit. No, everyone loved that That's record. crazy. Because, I mean, the Jane's Addiction record. thing, I, I mean, I was just, just putting my CDs into my iTunes again for, like, the millionth time. But I'm, like, fat. I'm just blown away that, like, that's 1990, 1991. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. That was so. Those were some of the first CDs I ever got were Jane's Addiction CDs. The art guy. There were there there were these guys who worked for Tower, L.A., um, and they did all the sort of the the art piece. They would create giant art pieces, album covers, and they made a 3D ritual album cover that was like five by five, like five foot by five foot. That Jesus hung up on the wall. Uh, perfect. Wow. They basically made like fiberglass or like, you know, macrame or, you know, whatever the fucking. Yeah, that's you know, a bizarre cover. Statues of the three characters on the cover. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, there was such cool shit. Lemmy would come into Tower Sunset. That, that makes my heart happy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I he lo- would go to Book Soup all the time because there were some people like Book Soup employees would be like, Lemmy was in today. You know, because he would like go buy books. Dude, he literally he was, he was a sunset. Strip staple, live right, man. Live like, right there. I saw him. I I talked to him once. Saw him three times. Every single one of those times was at the Rainbow. Yep. Casually hanging out. Nothing. No. Like just a guy. And I'm like, the first time I saw him, I was like, God, this fucking ugly motherfucker <laughs> leaning over me trying to play the Pac-Man game. I'm like, What's up, bro? And I look up. I'm like, Oh God, you're Lemmy. That's Lemmy. Holy fuck. <laughs> and he sat down next to me, and I was like, shitting in my pants, dude. I absolutely love Motorhead. Dude. I had I had the great experience of meeting him. Ooh. For a business situation, uh, and it was one of the one of the, like my Hollywood favorite moments of, of meeting your idols. I hear nothing but he was he was top notch to me. I imagine he's just a fucking great dude. Ahmed Zappa and I wrote and, and produced. We sold a animated script to MTV, and the script was called Metal Wolf: The Misadventures of a Time Traveling Heavy Metal Band. It was like one of my first like big sales. Nice. And they produced the the pilot. And the premise of the, the show was these four idiots from Fairfax High School had a band called Metal Wolf. And it was 1986, and they were a Van Halen-style metal band and going somewhere. Their van, their van crashes on the way to a gig. The gods of rock, who were Lemmy, Rob Halford, <laughs> I love it. and Dio, decided Ronnie that it wasn't James. time for Metal Wolf to die. So they <laughs> saved them. Dude, I would watch this fucking and, thing. And, and then, but, but in exchange for giving them life, the shtick was... We've readjusted your van. It's now a time machine. <laughs> you boys need to go back in time and find the exact moment that Rock died, because in nineteen or in two thousand, Rock is dead, yeah. and fix it. <laughs> so every episode would have been okay. When did Rock die? And the pilot episode was they decided that Rock died when Celine Dion released "My Heart Will Go On." <laughs> so the only way to stop that is to go back in time, stop that, and album. stop the Titanic from sailing. Ah, that's it's the that's the back. Gotcha, the gotcha, gotcha. Make but sure the song you, is never written because there's nothing to write about. Right. So, but when you do that, then you alter the dude. All those of people history. lived. Right. And now maybe they're all musicians. Well, <laughs> the, the the evilest man alive was supposed to die, and he didn't. And then you know, blah right, blah blah. Right. Blah. Now we have Hitler too. 
That's a long way of saying we needed to get the we needed to get permission from Dio, Rob, Rob Halford, and, and Lemmy, and Wendy Dio, who was Ronnie's ex-wife and manager, set that all up, and Ahmet and I went to the Maiden Dio Motorhead show at Irvine Meadows in 2003 to have a sit down with Lemmy and Dio. Same night, I get to, we get to hang with Dio, so we go down there. We drive down we're limo with. Wendy, this is the greatest night of my life. I'm Fuck, it was, it's the we have we hearing have, it's the greatest day of my life. I have we have VIP passes so we can walk anywhere we want. We eat with the crew. We're in the pit for all the bands. We we hang with Ronnie after his set. Would you like a Boddington's, Brendan? <laughs> <laughs> burned, burned, burned in my mind. Now, quick, quick tangent, quick tangent. The ease of it is everyone wants to talk to Ahmed about Frank. Of course, dude. They, they just want they're, all they're, they're all they're, they're all Zappa nerds, dude. They just want stories from Frank. Ahmed, is it true that your father could hear frequencies that average humans cannot? <laughs> you know, like, yes, like yes, Ronnie, that's true. Would you like a okay. So so then the Lemmy so then the Lemmy thing goes down, and his manager comes to us and he's like, okay, and it's just me and Ahmed. Uh, Lemmy's been up for three days. Speed. Uh, Lemmy, he's been up for three days, so. And he's in the trailer. So when you go in, he might fuck with you. And if he does, you have to punch back. You can't let him bully you. Because if he bullies you and, he sees and wins, that. then he will hate you fuck and you're this. done. Yeah, then yeah. the meeting is over. So if he's a dick, just, just dick trust it back. me, dick him back. Yeah. Right? So we go in. And there's maybe a prostitute in the corner we didn't know. This young lady. Groupie. Mm. Lemmy didn't have to pay. Yeah, it was. Yeah, she did. But didn't look like she was from Irvine. <laughs> <laughs> but we go in this trailer, and it's just us and her and her. <laughs> and he he could not have been sweeter. Yeah. All he wanted to do, he had brand new cowboy boots that had been custom made for him. Was he wearing them with jean shorts? No, he was wearing them with white jeans. Oh god, it was God, like dude. It, that was what it wasn't what he wore on stage, but he just that was his casual wear. Whatever. <laughs> But it's going to be he, something more comfortable. Tight and, white jeans and cowboy boots. <laughs> and he gave us Coors beer. He had a, he had a, he had a cooler of Coors lights. Yeah, and, did. And, so, and we hung out with him for like a half an hour. And again, he wanted to hear Frank's stories. He knew who Ahmed was a little bit. And, and, uh, but I'm just sitting there going like, a, I'm fucking in a trailer in Irvine hanging yeah. out with my, one of my gods. Dude, I mean, that, the, yeah. it doesn't... The, it, the idea, because we talk about this a lot, but like perks in this town, and like, and what it means to to for somebody like, like I, you know, I love music, dude. Obviously, and and obviously you do too. And like when I had the opportunity, just sitting at home one day, my buddy calls me. He's like, "Hey, I'm PAing the uh, X Game Awards, and if you're interested, Black Sabbath is playing. They're gonna do a sound check, and I can get you down here, and you can just watch the sound check, and maybe I can get you into the room with them. And I was like, whatever, we're on the way already. Fucking, we'll be there. <laughs> I'm right behind you. Yeah, me and my buddy who showed up at the Universal Amphitheater. This guy put te- uh, you know lanyards on us, gave me a fucking tray of bread and cheese. He goes, take it in there. I walk in. Literally, it's all of Black Sabbath. Kelly Osbourne on the couch wow. doing her homework. You know, Sharon's there. Ozzy's in the corner. Tony's tuning his guitar. I'm, I literally almost pissed my pants when I walked in. I was like, uh, I go, I have bread and cheese. <laughs> and they're like, announcement. They all kind of look up like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, man, right over there, yeah. hey, whatever, dude. We don't give a fuck. And yeah. I just, I put it down, and then I like, I literally stood by it, like I'll be guarding the bread and cheese. <laughs> and I stood there like for like 
a couple minutes just like clocking everybody, looking at everyone, like, and they were all just real casual. And Tony looked up and smiled and nodded. And I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I was like, I gotta get out of this room, dude. I gotta get out of this room. And I just left. And then I, I was like, holy shit. And then we watched him do a sound check. They played Paranoid like seven times. Wow. And I was like, okay, that was awesome. And then for my 40th, they were back together on tour, and my wife got me tickets. We went and saw them on my birthday. But but it was like those kind of perks, like just all of a sudden, you know, you get to meet Lemmy. And, and even if that thing doesn't go anywhere, which, by the way, now I'm mad that I don't have, like, there aren't T-shirts of Metal Wolf and that this isn't a thing that's been around I, for 15 it, it years. It dial-tested well, and, 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 and we went to the upfronts, and, and that's the classic story of... Brian Graydon was running MTV at the time and he just didn't want to spend the cash because it would have cost at least minimum 500 grand an episode. For the, just because of the cheaply. names. Because of the no, names or no, because no, of the animation? No, no, just because of animation. Okay. Yeah. yeah Why can't you do it now? Well, we... It's something that we continue to talk about. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not dead. It's not no, dead. it's it not dead. It shouldn't be because the concept is amazing. And we, oh, did, we did the music, too. We, and, and we used... Um, that was part of it. That every episode they would do a cover. Look, so they did a metal cover of, of, of my heart will go on. Ah, and then they, smart, smart. They, yeah. they they sang a song about the Titanic. That's yeah. they short circuited the ship's electrical system uh, when they jammed on the on the deck. <laughs> they sacked the band, and 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 we did the music uh, with this guy Jason Nesmith, who's Mike Nesmith's son. Get from the, the fuck out of here! Yeah. And Jason did. Uh, Jason did all the guitars and all the bass. Mike Nesmith is the reason I ever picked up a guitar to begin with. Is that right, dude? I was a huge Monkees fan in kindergarten. Me My too. mom was like, "Hey, Me you too. want a guitar?" I was like, uh, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Well, yeah. his son, his son is an old, you know, an old LA friend, That's uh, also of Amit's because they grew up together. Of and course, they he did. is a Holy shit. killer musician and scores a lot of uh, music and television right now. So these guys, oh, you're talking man. about, you're talking about Amit I mean, that. He was not part of the Chicago thing, is it? No, you but met he, out I here? met him. Uh, then my when I started doing comedy, I met Moon. I met Moon Zappa. Oh, right. That, I forget. Then, I guess she was doing we, comedy back in the nineties, and so. she was a huge part of the alt comedy scene. Yeah. And then when we met, she's like, "Oh, you're my new best friend." <laughs> and then when I met Amit, we were simpatico on all kinds of stuff. And then we started writing and creating and doing weird shit together. Moon, I'm assuming you're still in contact with family. Ish. Yes, ish. Moon, if I'm not mistaken, because I, I used to manage bands back in the 90s, and we used to tour right. manage with Matchbox 20, and I believe the Paul. guitarist... Paul Doucette. Are they still together? They are not. Okay, but they, they were child. Back, back in there, because uh, I remember running into him when I first moved out here in like 2000, and I think he was, and I think I saw him show up at the comedy, or not the comedy, the improv a couple times with her. Uh, I had no idea. 100%. Yeah. They're, okay. they're, they have a daughter together. Okay. Paul was, I mean, he, you know, he was one of my main guys for yeah. many years. I, I spoke at their wedding. Okay. Yeah, Paul Doucette of Matchbox. Amazing. I named their, their greatest hits record. Amazing. Exile on Mainstream. Yeah. Uh, See? Small world. Small world. We almost knew each other once, but we don't know each other no. before that. Well, who else did you manage? Uh, at that time, I was a tour manager for a band called Citizen King, and I, I, did, I, so we, I was on tour with Matchbox 20 before they hit with a band called The Guffs, who, was, who were also on Atlantic Records. Wow. And so uh, I saw the groundswell. I always tell people the story about how we both were, were two bands on the road in vans, and we were in this. We were in the south southeast, and every city we went to because that that album. I think it was Push was their hit song, their first hit song. Um, and I ev- wanna push. You yeah, back. or maybe it was maybe it was two four a.m. I can't remember mm-hmm. one, one of those songs. Whichever their first one was, but every city we went to, 
bigger and bigger. Bigger. Wow. It was really wow. weird to see. Wow. As, and then and all of a sudden, home on a private that's jet. To say, and then all <laughs> of a sudden they were gone. And I'll never forget. You got to love the business because it's this is typical. Um, uh, his name is Escape Rob. Rob was a little bit chunky back then. Oh, yeah. And I remember as they were getting popular, they pulled him off to work with a private trainer and on his own so he can get in shape to become Rob Thomas, basically yeah. a, store, a star. Yep. Right. They basically they put him in. The, they put him. They they, once him. he was becoming a star, they're like, we got to put you in the star boat. Hey, fat so boy. You're, we're yeah. done. And they move <laughs> I call over. that Hollywood camp because that's happened to so many people so I many know. People. So many people. Like, I remember when Nia Vardalos went to Hollywood camp. Because she was, you know, a regular person. Yeah, she was a normal sized like, human. Right. And then <laughs> and then a normal sized person. And then my big fat Greek wedding comes out. And then you're not yeah. my big fat Greek wedding. You're you're slim and trim. Yeah. You go to Hollywood camp. Yeah. It's yeah. it is amazing to watch that. Yeah. But yeah, so that's how wow. way but this has gotta be ninety five maybe. Right. And I was still I was living in Wisconsin still at the time. Obviously the bands were one of them was from Milwaukee, one was from Chicago. But yeah, so that I was part of that whole thing and then eventually I kinda completely got out of the whole Band thing, it exhausted me. We used to drive up from Chicago to OK's Corral in Madison, Wisconsin, to go see bands at that club. All every, you know, Alpine Valley, dude. Alpine, Alpine Valley, Valley, dude. Alpine Valley. I saw Rush at Alpine. My Alpine Valley. I saw fucking uh, Clash of the Titans, Slayer, Anthrax, Megadeth at Alpine. I've seen uh, Fish at Alpine. I've seen uh, fuck Aerosmith. Um, God, I've seen so many shows. One of Alpine my favorites Valley. was Monsters of Rock '88, which was. Oh. Van- Van Hagar, Scorpions, Metallica, Dawkins, Kingdom Come. So all the metalheads from Chicago and Milwaukee merging Dude. together in one place. Dude. I used to always, so great. I used to always tell people one of my favorite things about going, like specifically, especially the big events that were like at Alpine Valley and stuff like that. And people were like, wait, they did what? I, I used to you'd go to it, and then right afterwards, they would do the concert replay on one of the rock stations. So you could Driving relive home. everything you just, and you were like so <laughs> double down stoked. They're like, oh, wait a minute, the radio station replayed what you just, I'm like, yeah. Dude. That's just, that's how we rolled back then, dude. Amazing. Like, if you were into music. And now, I remember, like, this is years ago, but I went into a Black Crow show, and they're like, if you'd like the show, pay $20. I'm like, I'm already in the show. <laughs> But then they were like, no, we give you a copy of the show. I go, what? And I gave 20 bucks, and I got a ticket, and I went. And at the end, they gave me literally a double, a four-disc CD package with a cover of the date. It was like a fucking homemade bootleg they did yeah. right on the spot. And just 20 bucks, here's your ticket, here you go. And you got a copy of the show. And nice. I was like, I listened to that show for like three weeks. So I was like, oh, my God, this show was awesome. <laughs> I was there. I think that was me. That was me. That was me. That was me. Did you guys hear me in between those songs? No, oh, but I mean, I, the live music is just fucking badass. But, but how did... I guess my question is, uh, so the Metal Wolf thing doesn't end nope. up happening. That was a heartbreak. But you obviously remain friends with Amat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and we still, I mean, st- I, I'm leaving here and going over to his office. And we, we and he is, he is part, he is the leader of our show on Sirius Radio. Which is called? It's called Rock Tales. And it's Amit, me, and our friend Richard Sheltinga, who also produces my podcast. Which is called? Uh, the Brando Cast. There we go. Uh, available on Spotify and Google Play, Stitcher, and of course iTunes. But um, the serious show is going to be on volume. Is on volume already. Volume Channel One Hundred Six. They're sort of rock talk. Eddie Trunk, Michael DeBar, you sure. know, blah blah blah. Yeah. And we drink cocktails and we talk about rock. We have done a bunch of shows. We have a bunch of shows in the bank. We went to Vegas to interview the Cult, which we did. Um, uh, Cult was the first live band I ever saw. They opened for Metallica, uh, Poplar Creek, 1988. Oh, shit. 
So that was the first time. They got booed hard, man. Did they really at Poplar Creek? <laughs> People were fucking... I thought, is this how all opening bands get treated? Wow. <laughs> they were so fucking angry at this band. I was like, guys, first of all, these are good songs. Second of all, what's everyone so pissed at? Like, I'm in eighth grade, shitting my pants. People are throwing things. I'm like, wow. why? Why? It was weird. But that happened to the replacements at Poplar Creek. It happened to Alice in Chains on tour with Clash of the Titans. Christ, that can fucking, I'm sure every band has their We Got Shit On store. Every well, you got to like get you when you're married yeah. with the wrong at, you're, yeah. When you're married with the wrong together. opener, you know. It's ridiculous. But the cult were amazing. So we, we sat down with them, which yes. was fantastic. Love Another, it. Another like, life high for me. And then uh, and we did Stephen Piercy from Rat. That aired uh, last week. Love it. Sat in. That was another easy interview because he's known Amit for you know a million years. Yeah, and he's and, he's cool talking he's another, about <clears throat> anything. Yeah, he had great stories, and it was a thrill to talk about him. I mean, Rat was in was in it, man. Rat was. Yep. <clears throat> they don't get a lot of <clears throat> among like the like casual musician the people who listen to music at that time. They don't get a lot as much love as a lot of the other bands, but they and were, they should. They were real popular because they had great they had great songs. He told one great story that I'll share here. Um, Gazaris was their place. I mean, they they broke at Gazaris on Sunset, and Gazaris had secret rooms within secret rooms for the acts. And one night he said in one of the secret rooms, and that's where all the lady stuff went down. He said one lady night, stuff. lady stuff, tampons, <laughs> stuff like <Yeah>. that. <laughs> people getting their periods, you know, uh, uh, co- brushing each other's hair, a lot of cooking, a lot of cooking. Uh, yes, babies yes. were getting yoga, hot produced. yoga class. Yeah, <laughs> um, that one night in one of those rooms, mm-hmm. it was just him, David Lee Roth, and Ozzy. Oh God, they all fucked each other, <laughs> snorting coke and talking about aerobics. Aerobics, yes. Yep. That's sure. what was happening. Dude, you gotta get jazzercise, bro. You gotta yeah. get jazzercise. It was it's big the back 80s, then. It was dude. big. It was big. But that's how that's how that's what cocaine does to your brain. You like those three guys, like you know what aerobics, pretty good, pretty, pretty good healthy. It's like healthy. You can do it. There's a place on La Siena that's really amazing. <laughs> you gotta go tomorrow morning. I'll call you 9 a.m., dude. I will call you 9 a.m. <laughs> Just coked out. Oh my like, god. Yep. Let's go do some aerobics, bro. Woo! Imagine any rock star calling anybody else at 9 a.m. is just not a thing. <laughs> no, it doesn't even dude. exist. No. No, but that's what cocaine will do to your brain. Like, no, nah, we'll be up at 8 a.m. I mean, well, you we can, can discuss it, yeah. We'll do this. We can do this. We're good. So with Ahmet, though, you, so you guys do this. You just started this show. Um, yeah. I love, first of all, the concept. I, I, that's all I ever want to hear is rock stars talk about wackadoo crazy yeah. shit that they used to do. And, and hopefully, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're going to lean on Ahmet's relationships with people to um, get, them know, in there. get, get guests. decent guests because they do want us to be guest heavy. Yeah. Uh, you know, three dudes drinking cocktails and talking about the top three stick songs or whatever. Mm, that might work. For a little but bit. They're hoping that we can, like, get <laughs> yeah. some fun people. You know, the, the Eddie Trunk show on Sirius yes. on volume is, is a big deal to them. And he's more, uh, you know, his angle is you know really getting into album production and musicianship yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. And we're hoping to just hang with people. And have a couple cocktails and see where the conversation goes. I'm going to guess that you've probably spent some time with Rodney on the Rock at some point in your life. I, well, I, Rodney <laughs> used to live around the corner from us. No, he lived, Rodney, in the 90s, Rodney lived on, not Kursan or Sierra Bonita, just south of Sunset. Oh, he wow. and, and when the Denny's was open on Sunset by Guitar Center, he was there every single day. Every single day. And then he was at Cantor's at night. So it was like, well, there's Rodney, and he would drive around our neighborhood 
And his con- his blue convertible, I think it's the same car that is in the Ramones movie, oh Rock God. and Roll High School. He was everywhere, and I we, I loved that show. On it was Sunday nights. I only on bring that up because I had no idea who he was. You know, if you're not from yeah. here, right? right? Yeah. And I just remember being at a a a, a, a party, and someone's like, "Hey, Brian, this is uh, Rodney," and I was like, "He's an interesting fella." Hey, Hello, weirdo. Rodney. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, a, I'm I'm six foot two. He's not. Yeah. So it's like you know, and and he doesn't talk much. Yeah. At least at in that moment, and then eventually, you know, he left, and I was like, "Who? What? What? I mean, he seems like a decent fellow, but who was that guy? They're like, dude, that's Rodney, man. Yeah, that's Rodney." And I was like, "Okay." And then later, I, then a documentary came out. I go, "Wait, that's, that's the, the guy from the party." <laughs> that's the guy. And then I watched the documentary. I'm like, "Holy shit, that guy's like, yeah, he's for Important. real, yeah, he's for real." And in the strangest pack, package, yeah, uh, another little yeah. tiny rock and roll elf it wasn't yeah. a showboater no. in, in per se. Like so, th- that no. was what was so interesting about it. Yeah, but so impactful, uh, giant. And that's he, why I was curious. Again, based on your talk, you had to have been around that. Guy. He's he's but his quirks of eating at Denny's. Every, like he did that every single day. Canters every single night. You know, and he just lived in this unassuming blue building just south of Sunset. You know, buy that Seven Eleven. Yeah, buy the the old Coach and Horses, which is now the Pikey. The Pikey, yeah. I mean, that was his neighborhood. Yeah, you know, it was hilarious. like seeing Angeline. You know, right. yes, which was probably a bigger deal back then. Now people are like, yeah. "What is this? Get out of my way, lady!" And like, who's the guy? Who's the guy? Dennis Woodruff. Dennis Woodruff. That yeah, was, he was more. That was he was the unicorn back then. Yeah, I saw I, I, the Dennis 90s. Woodruff sighting. Like he's right. like seeing Bigfoot. Well, well, there was a thing called VHS Kids. And uh, everyone had a, a Dennis Woodruff VHS cassette. He sold his own movies that he made. Yeah. I've never seen one. You had there, It's just clips of him being on, like, KCAL and KTLA. <laughs> that's it. There is no... It's not a movie. It's no, a it's press a kit. It's, it's his clips. It's his edited-together clips of whatever he could put himself in. Amazing. And then a few horribly shot little things, but it's oh mostly like... Oh, yeah. Amazing. That's mm-hmm. hilarious. How I, w- I know we're running out of time, but how did we get to... How did you get to My Boys? Well, My Boys was actually... The, the, the show that I wrote on on TBS, that was created by my best friend, Betsy Thomas, um, who's still you know my closest friend on the planet. And uh, that show, My Boys, was about my group of friends. There was a character on the show named Brendan. Yep. And he was molded after me. Uh, the actor Michael Bunin uh, played Kenny on the show. He was essentially playing a version of himself because it was Betsy's chronicling of a period of our lives like late 90s, early 2000s when there was a, she was one of the original roommates and she found some success and moved on. And she had one of those houses also in Hollywood where we would go and hang out, and it was me. It was Neil, the actor Neil Flynn, who was before on, he was on Scrubs. Yeah, he was the janitor on Scrubs. Right. He's on the middle, and Bunin and a whole bunch of other people. And she had a poker night, which was a part of the My Boy show. And so she, you know, the simple concept was girl with guy friends. Yeah, you know, sexy tomboy with guy friends. And she sold that, and then next thing you know, you know that show was in production. And now, that's why you know Jamie Kaler. That's <laughs> why I know Jamie Kaler. And Jamie Kaler's character is essentially inspired by Neil Flynn, but the real Neil Flynn. Right. But Jamie took that immediately in his own direction. So we wrote to Jamie. Yeah. But that, but that yeah. had to be cool to know yeah. that you're creating a show that is loosely based on a life that you live. Well, right? it was like, it was very meta for me because the. Uh, <laughs> 
my nickname has always been Brando, mm-hmm. given to me by another Chicago person, the wonderful Lauren Katz, who's an improviser. And so everyone has always called me Brando. Michael Bunin is playing the character Kenny. There's a scene, it was either the pilot or the first or second episode, and the Brendan character walks in, and Bunin goes, Brando! Ad-libs, and then that stuck. And then then everyone is writing the nickname Brando into the show. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, And then there were some times in the writer's room when someone would want to make a joke, and I would go, "I, I, I love that joke. We can't do it because my mother will think that, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming out of my mouth, essentially. Yeah, like, it, yeah. yeah. So we can't make fun of my mom. We can't and make who, fun of my dad. And who played you? Uh, Reed Scott, Reed who Scott. went on to be on Veep. Yeah, who went on to be one of the main characters. It's a good group of people that were on that show. Gaffigan, Jordana Spiro, Kyle Howard, who's incredible. Kalei yeah. Stewart, who's insane. Yeah, it was a and, and and the writing room like the first season was was a typical mix of like strangers and whatnot. But by the time the show neared the midpoint and then the end, Betsy had cultivated all the friends. So we had a we we were here at Paramount. Oh, nice! Which was amazing. Yeah, we were all friends in real life. We'd become friends with the people on the show that we didn't know, and it was it was a it was a it was a dream. Yeah, it was like four seasons, it, it four or five seasons. Yeah, we did fifty odd episodes. Yeah, and okay. you know the funny thing about TBS back then is that show was one of the you know because now everything seems to get lost in the mix. That was not that show. Yeah, being on TBS, everybody knew about it. A lot of they people they didn't watched have it. a lot. No, in they that, didn't. In the regards, we were, they also we were the second. We were the second comedy they bought. Right, and and they they wanted. They were still trying to figure out if they wanted to be, uh, uh, if they wanted to produce real television or just rerun. Right, Friends, you know, and and the everybody hates Chris and yeah. stuff like that. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And Friends, well, Friends <coughs> was huge for them. Yeah, we would actually come on after Friends. That's a good lead-in. That was the whole. That was the whole game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, oh. They did. I was pretty jealous of those guys. At one point, while they were filming that show, they ended up in Chicago and were like, "I was there." But you were f- <laughs> fucking shagging fly balls at Wrigley. We, I'm well, like, Kayla's a Red Sox fan. Get him out of there!" Yeah, like, we, I was we, enraged. <laughs> those were magical days. I mean, Fuck, we had yeah. and the Cubs. The Cubs because we chronicled the the show. It's the, Chicago. The, yeah, Jordana was a uh, a writer for the Tribune and she covered the Cubs, and so they they opened the the gates for us. God, you and made them look Betsy. good. Yeah. Because we made him look good, yeah. and we had some Cubs on the show. We went to spring training in Mesa and shot like a whole week in in, in Mesa, Arizona, which was a blast. Yeah, um, going to Chicago was always uh, just an unbelievable time. Do you still have? Yeah. Do you have are you still friends, family there, or just anybody there? Well, you know? I, I mean, I a lot a lot of my friends from school stayed there. Yeah, um, I have always tried to go back as much as possible. I have my thirtieth reunion coming up in. October, so we're all going to that. Nice, um, which will be a blast. Um, and now I, the crazy thing for me is, like, so many of my friends, like all of my sort of straight mainstream, the, everyone that like got out of college, had got a great job, had kids. Some of their kids are at Northwestern now. <laughs> Jesus, Chris, so that's that insane, mind blowing. Yeah. yeah. So I'm excited about that. But the, and the my boys people, we you know we just had Bunin's birthday the other night. I was gonna say, didn't so we see each other birthday. a lot? Yeah. And those guys, like. I think I like I met Jamie and Michael Bunin pretty uh, a couple years into doing stand up, but they were right. two guys that 
I knew right away who they were. I knew they were on a TV show, and and I was like, oh shit, these guys are legit actors. They're working, you know. Yeah. I know that Jamie used to attend bar at this place I do comedy, and now he doesn't because he's on this show, and this is fucking great. They there was never an awkward like they always treated me. I don't know how we met. I don't remember an introduction, but they always treated me like I was the same. They were like, huh, yeah. you're an animal. Well, and I was be, like, but be, huh? well, that's but th- that's important because <clears throat> you. There's zero reason why you couldn't have popped at the same time that they did. Right. You know what I mean? Well, like there's a lot a, of reasons, but well, I, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. but you have, but yeah, but they're they're all my own doing. They're, my own doing. they're your peers. Yeah, they're not yeah. your superiors. Yes, that's exactly how it felt. They made me feel that way immediately. Right. I was like, oh yeah, we're the, we're I could do what they do. Yeah, and the and both of them, and I know this just from knowing both of them, especially Kaler, they have both been humbled by the business. Yeah, and they know. Like, you know, I know both Kaler and Bunin are grateful for whatever comes along. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I'm hosting this thing on the History Channel. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. Why like, not? Yeah. It doesn't matter. Stay busy and, and stay busy, and, and pay have the bills. fun and enjoy the ride of whatever this is that we're doing. Because you're going to go down. Oh, yeah. You're going to go down. Yep. Yep. It's just a matter of if you can hold on long enough to come back up. That's. The whole deal. Yeah. Were you ever uh, the, the unique situation about the My Boys thing and the fact that you were a performer yourself? Were you ever at odds with that, or did you kind of just once you started going to the writing thing, you were totally fine? With I it. let like that go. Had, yeah, did. I let that go because 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 to me, like podcasting with Amit or podcast. You know, I just did Brian Passane. I, I've done Jimmy Pardo and Blake Capatch yeah. and Nicole Sullivan and Arden Marine. All super talented, you know, uh, amazing. You people. know, playing with those people fills that same. It, you know, it it checks that same box for me. Being in a writer's room, you know, or helping friends on something, that it fill it, it checks the same box. Okay, you know, it 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 feeds that same creative thing inside. Did you have some other uh, great writing experiences that you really enjoyed over the years outside of my boys? Amit and I have written a, a few things together that I'm super proud of. Okay. You know, and we have some we have some pots on the stove as they say, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah. People um, I think the thing that doesn't get talked about enough is how hard it is to get something made. Like you even talked about the fact that you guys yeah. made a great product in 2000. Yeah. And, and dial tested took, well. And 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 still there yeah. there's so And the people, a, the people the don't understand how much It's not even that. I think ultimately and you know this, once you put, you know, pen to paper or whatever, you know, old man turn there, but you know what I'm saying, like once you start creating something, there are so many obstacles from the minute you have an idea to it ever Having a chance to succeed, it's unbelievable how many roadblocks or how many no's can still be in your way. And I think, I think now more than ever, the thing that's difficult is I think there are more no's than ever. Even though they say there's more opportunities than ever, there's more no's that come sure, with it. Sure, but some of those opportunities are only for like two people, correct, or three people. <laughs> yeah, you know, not twenty yeah. or thirty. Yeah, you know, and, and and now you have to have so much attached and so much fancy and so many things attached before you get even okay to go into the room to get the meeting. It used to be that you could go and pitch. You could set up a meeting at NBC and go pitch a show yeah. just as a writer yeah. and not have a director, an actor, a big executive producer, you know, a team of people, yeah. a brand, yeah. an IP. Like, you didn't, you know. Which is interesting about that. so crazy. And, and what's what's funny about that is that, you know, when I we were talking to John when you went to Bath about when I worked in the music business, what was interesting about that same boom, that Nirvana boom, that changeover, was that the mentality of the record business at that point was 
sign a lot. Sign the unknowns. You don't know. Sign a lot. It'll take care of itself. It'll work its way through. The stuff that matters is going to find its way to the top. The stuff that doesn't, oh, well, let's still sign it. Our industry, with so many more ways to expose people, has not done that. They've actually, what you're talking about, they've contracted. When they should be expanding... They're contracting, which is very, which is interesting that they chose to contract. Well, considering they have, they continue to brag about how much uh, uh, extra cash they have lying around because it's such a great business. But it's also kind of <laughs> like it's also kind of like the comedy boom that's happening. If you look at L.A., it's sort of restricted to like the same nine people on every show, and yeah. you're like, what? yeah, and I don't know what the fear is. <clears throat> well, the, failure is a, is a big one, and because things are so expensive to produce, and but they cost- still fail. Are, they still fail, but that's the control comes in. Fear, I mean, control always comes in when fear is at work. That's, yeah. I mean, that's it. It's, yeah. it's it. Everyone's afraid to lose their job, to do something wrong, to say something wrong. And the companies are more corporate than ever. Yeah. They're all owned which by is, giant conglomerates. Which is such a, such a, uh, like just, a, a garbage just, setup. It's just such a, like, corporations running art is fucking gross to me. <laughs> well, I've always thought that L.A. is a very odd intersection of art and commerce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and 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 some people, you know, there are plenty of pure artists in L.A., and there are plenty of people here who are just in it for the money. For the Frank, Frank, Frank Zappa's second album, "We're Only in It for the Money." Yeah, I will never forget the, uh, the my awakening happened very quickly when I came out here. Like uh, I, I was working uh, at this building called the Herald Examiner downtown, and uh, this. The second show I worked on was this independent film, and I'll never forget the producer was like, "Let me." He's like, "Dude, I really don't care what I'm making." He's like, "I'm gonna make it for this amount of money, and I'm gonna sell it for this. It's a business, man." And I was like, "Yeah, but, but it's Hollywood and like it's storytelling." And he's like staring at me, going, "Get the fuck maybe, out of here, kid. Maybe <laughs> not for me. Not here. Not here." Right, and not he was like, office. "Dead on." He was like, "Mortgage, life, yeah, business." Like he literally broke it down for me. He's like, "I don't." care and if you don't want to like me for that that's fine he goes but for me this is not about creative this is about end game that's it's it. so important because th- i've always thought the same dudes and ladies who go to dc and new york to do the same math on investment and investment opportunity and profit and end game They've just come to Southern California because the lifestyle is a little different here. It's a little more laid back and it's, it's sunnier. A, and, and it's sunny and hopefully you can sleep with a porn star if you've made enough money. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah. So that's the difference between going to New York and going to D.C. Yeah. It's the same guy. Yeah, it is. Mostly guys. Yeah. Who have yeah, that, it's mostly that energy guys. about that, That's them. not a lot, not a lot of women like, <laughs> no, who are going to so much porn star out. dick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God, so many porn star dicks coming at me. Can't wait. So good. <laughs> but I'm just talking about that cold, calculated business approach yes. to everything. Which which I've seen, which I notice, I think, more and more now when I can I see someone who's like really successful and they're like, oh, how did that guy? I go, that person came here with a calculated plan. Yeah. They became friends with people on purpose. Yeah. I came out here organically. I let my relationships yeah. develop organically. Or that is dissolve not how you do it in this town. No, and you and force that, your and friendships I, and yeah. your best friends and now you're doing this thing and now you make a billion dollars, then you break up, then you fucking sue each other, then you fucking <laughs> like <clears throat> literally I've seen that like four or five I times. I have long thought that because I never did that either. Yeah. I mean and if and and, and I've got a problem well, I, I did, this will sound egotistical, but I had a dear friend from college who who has gone up the ladder, and she said, oh, you'll never work on a certain level because all those guys look at you as the guy who threw beer on them in college. 
Oh, there's some truth you know to that. What I mean? Yeah. So they're all super, super nerds. And I, I took that as a compliment, but... <laughs> yeah, you're you know. like, fucking right, I threw beer out of yeah. me. Don't <laughs> dork out at my parties. Hey, listen, here's <laughs> why you're not going to succeed. Here's why you're going to be successful at failure. Yeah. Because you're the guy they don't fucking like. Yeah. Okay? Right. Which, which, which remind again, them. that's also like, you know... You know, you're also not a guy who would probably throw beer on them now. You no. know what no. I mean? Like, it's a, <laughs> no. wait a minute. So you're saying he? There's a little room for growth. He did. So you're saying growth. he was that guy? He I'm confused. Been. He might. Dude, I'm guaranteed there are people in college who are like, uh, "Fuck John Huck, he's an <laughs> asshole." Yeah, but you strike me as the kind of guy that you just enjoyed life and people liked hanging out with you. I did. Okay. Yes. Like although, you weren't looking for I, fights. You I weren't could be. To... A, I could be a snob. Okay. I, I in what way? Me. But well, music snob. Music okay. for right. sure. Okay. Definitely. And then cultural snob. You know, a little bit like you're not. You're not really part of my tribe. So, you know, I, I there were t- there were two guys. There were a couple guys from my class who who hit it big in, in a certain way out here, and I just never got on with them. You never yeah. clicked. I never clicked with them. And so people would always say to me, "Why did you go to th- those guys and you know work on this thing?" And it's like, I don't like no, them. I don't like them. Now that and then that is you the know? difference. That is, I that's me too. I yeah. I have I, it's very hard for me to force myself to get along with somebody I don't like, respect, or get or enjoy. Right. So when like there are people that are great at it, and it's fucking unsettling when you watch people get along, and then one person walks away and goes, "That fucking asshole gets hit by a bus. I could care less." And you're like. What? You guys just kissed, basically. What What happened? What changed in five minutes? Oh, you're a calculating asshole. Yeah. You don't really give a fuck about your friendship with this person. It's literally all for show. It's And yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. And I feel good about that now. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't look at it as a... As a as a flaw or a thing, it's like okay. So my friends are my friends; they're legit friends. If Brian wasn't involved in the entertainment industry, I'd still like talking to Brian. Right? Really? You know what I mean? No, that's of oh. course I'm kidding. <laughs> but <clears throat> no, but you know. So what as I mean. soon as it's I like, don't have this podcast equipment anymore, you're not going to talk to me anymore. As soon as you sell that stuff, I'm like, I lose my number, bro. I like <laughs> Brian because he has a nice soundboard. <laughs> Someone's got to edit this. I always thought that, that was probably out. the Hall and Oates. Uh, I always thought the Hall and Oates relationship was based on the fact that Oates probably had the equipment when, this first, <laughs> when they Dude, first I started. There's been those jokes. Like <laughs> he owned a Tascam. So recorder. you got a so you got a van, huh? All right, okay, okay, all right. Uh, I love when when the Phillies were in the World Series and Daryl Hall was supposed to sing the national anthem. He got sick. And they're like filling in for Daryl Hall, John. Oats. And I was like, oh my God, they got oats. That's fucking great. Well, that's that great uh, SNL sketch, right? It's got, it's, uh, uh, with uh, Chris Catan was playing, they were, they were the Hall and Oats, oh. and they kept doing it. He goes, I'm oats. He kept, he had to, he kept telling, they would say something, he would constantly have to remind I'm everybody oats. what it is. It's me, oats. It's me, oats. Um, you had kind of said something earlier about bobbleheads. I don't know if you were kidding or not, but uh, not. you are you a collector of sorts? Do you collect yes. things from your past? And yes. did you get? And you were talking about that stuff from Tower Records. I'm assuming there was a lot of fights for guys for people that worked there that wanted to get like display, like because display stuff was like one right? The, all those big giant posters on the side of the building, or yeah. those, like th- those went to people. Okay, yeah. yeah. But you was could, there smaller request, stuff that you guys? You could record. You could. You could. You could always get some of the promotional posters. Okay, like that was that was that was like gold. I have always collected vintage concert posters. Okay, like framed vintage yeah, yeah, concert. Yeah. Like that's my thing. Um, I do have a, a set of Rush bobbleheads um, that they sold on their website a few years ago. Yep. Um, and I've always collected concert tees. Okay. Because the great crime of my life was my mother, the day I left for college, gave all of my 80s concert shirts to Goodwill. I only took a couple to Northwestern. I took Van Halen, the Van Halen 5150 shirt. 
Oh my god! And not even like, the 1984. That, no, because by that time, like, <laughs> you know, grown it's, it. it's a little. You know, it's not the same. What yeah. was the and, What was the oh, one that she got rid of that kills you to this day? The, the Van Halen Fair Warning shirt. Which oh, then, the best Van which, Halen album. Which, which, which I when the, in the very early days of eBay, I went back and was able to buy some of those shirts. Ooh, the hilarious! You're gonna buy your own shirt back, right? That's so okay. So dude. I found that shirt, the 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 the, the Fair, Fair Warning. Warning tour shirt. I had a a a, a great. It was ra- the band Rainbow, a dude. hoodie. Like a like a like a Ocean Pacific style uh, hoodie, a hoodie, OP, a rainbow hoodie that I love that, Damn. and I had a long sleeve ZZ Top Eliminator shirt from that tour. Good God, so many, and then a Rush, the Rush Signals. The, it's I'm wearing it in a couple pictures in my high school yearbook at baseball practice. It was the Signals tour shirt, but it was the baseball baseball sleeve. sleeved. So it was the gray, baseball the gray sleeves. body with the black sleeve. <sighs> That was lost. I mean, it was... Uh, my brothers and I still, when we go back to our mom's house, we still, like, rip that place apart, just hoping maybe, that there's a garbage maybe. bag somewhere. Because <laughs> we all... Because I have two brothers, and we all we all collected concert shirts. So, Did you guys yeah. go to shows together? Oh, yeah. Were yeah. You all my, brother, my, my brother, actually, my brother Ryan lives in Silver Lake. Oh, nice. And we go to a lot of shows together. Oh, that's great. We go to most shows together. You know what's sad is, like, I, as much as I love music and as big as it was, I, I had burned out temporarily when I first moved out here. And I lived in Silver Lake when I first moved out here. And I never went to Spaceland. To Spaceland. Uh, never went. Yeah. Drove past it, walked past yeah. it every single day. And to this day, I have still, I don't think it's called Spaceland anymore, but like, is it still Spaceland? It's not Spaceland, but it's still the same space. It's still the same space. Yeah. Ne- still have never, have you gone to that place? Have you ever know. gone in there? Yeah, so. that's that. I, I, cause I lived in, in the early like, 2000s. They yeah. had, there was, you know, I don't, I can't I, speak Elliot's, off the top of my head. I saw Elliot Smith there, the Lemonheads oh, wow. there. So, and then on Wednesday nights, you just, I lived in that neighborhood back in the mid 2000s. And Wednesday nights was like the, the night to go there and just hang out. See whatever was there. Awesome. Yeah, yeah that was a good space too. Yeah, space very, line. very well known venue on that side. Yeah, of town. dude. Yeah. Well, man, thank, thank you. you so much for what coming a journey. by. What's that? I said, what a journey. Yeah, no dude. pun intended. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't know if yeah, no, you do. He does love journey, dude. He, he I do. About I love journey. I do love journey. Bring it, the, Steve. The dude not, journey. Not a fan of the guy now. Wants to bring Steve Perry back. From what I can I'm understand, pre- an appreciator of Arnel Pineda, but I wish that Steve Perry was still in the band. Yeah, I did not know this, and I I try to. Ast- Avoid as much political talk as possible, but I know that there there was this thing that was on Twitter of this uh, Christian woman that it, Paula White and who is her husband Jonathan Cain. <laughs> Jonathan Cain. Uh, John, uh, Trump's spiritual advisor. Oh right, the is, blonde lady, uh, the blonde lady, the crazy blonde lady, yeah. who was talking about satanic pregnancies, right, last abortions, week. And yes. yeah, yeah. That is Jonathan Cain's wife, Jonathan Cain of Journey, the keyboard player from Journey. And this was actually an issue in Journey. I think you might appreciate this as an old <laughs> tour manager, where Neil Sean was had some concerns because uh, there was some proselytizing going on. There was also an un. There was a visit that wasn't okayed, where Jonathan Cain went to the White House, and Sean was. It was reported that he was worried that this sort of crazy evangelical side of John Cain would, would hurt the band, the band. Would weaken the band. Yeah. Uh-huh. See a little insight there. Well, huh? I'll tell you yeah. what. I thought you. I would have. The wife I, is. The wife is nuts. I would have kicked him out. Your wife's a lunatic. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. I don't want you in my band. <laughs> fuck off. Ruin the babies and ruin Journey, dude. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan Kane. Get him out. Get him out, dude. Get him out. Get Bring him Greg out. Raleigh back. That's what I want, <laughs> dude. <laughs> Um, yeah, thank but, you guys. Thank you so oh, much. Dude, thank you. And and um, you know, check out your show on Sirius with uh, with Amet. Uh, yeah. One Rock Channel One Hundred Six. Rock Tales Channel One Hundred Six. 
on your podcast, is Brando the Cast. Brando Cast, and uh, the the new episode. By the time this comes out, Brian Pesane episode will be up. We have got a lot of good people coming down the pike. You guys got should do it. it. Yeah, we record right over here in Larchmont Village. Uh, at, That's at Zappa Family Studio, which is a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. So. Also, I would just want to go there to go that I am at the Zappa, the Zappa Family <laughs> Studio. Just sit there and be like, I don't care if you interview me. I yeah. got to be honest with you. This is one of my favorite. I mean, look, and I'm not saying we've had a, a lot of great guests on here, but, but um, when you can talk music like this, we don't do it a lot. It's very connected. Oh, oh, and okay, we're all right, kind of right. on the same page. That's pretty rare. Yeah. Cool, cool, it's cool. just it's it, it just is like a bu- I feel like we're a bunch of 22 year old dudes just sitting around. You Dude, know, my, I, minus uh, a lot of haze uh, haze haze. Marijuana in the air, marijuana smoke, and, and, then, and, and, a, and a lot of uh, empty beer cans all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Minus that, but I could. This conversation awesome. could literally go seven hours, and yeah. I don't think I'd ever get tired. Love it. So, so thank yeah. you so thank much you. for sharing. Yeah, man, that thank was you awesome. very much, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, check out Brando, Brando Cast. All right, thanks. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. 